Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Just want to make sure this is going on here. <clears throat> well, we welcome Tony and the family and everybody that's here just to celebrate the life of Rosie, such a sweet lady. Uh, never heard her complain. Didn't hear her talk much, but she never complained at least. And so, But we know that she loved the Lord, she and Tony, and they were such a great couple now. Yes. <laughs> yes, a godly family. So we want to honor that. Now, it just so happens that <clears throat> we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we're on chapter 16 today, so I don't know how well that fits with the occasion, but it's, it's really talking about the wrath of God, and it shows you His holiness, and then it shows us how blessed we are to be on the other side of that wrath, and we're, on, we're at the side of His grace because we've come to Him accepting His offer of grace. So let's pray before we look into God's Word. Father, we just bow before you, and we pray for this time, this somber time of saying goodbye to Rosie. We thank you for what she meant to her family and to our church and to the body of Christ. We thank you for the example that she was here, and now, Lord, we praise you because she is in glory, and Lord, we just ask that we could continue on and for her sake and for your sake, Lord, that we would continue to be faithful and share your grace with other people. And then, Lord, we revere you because of what we see today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, the wrath of God, you know, so many people especially outside the church, they just say God is love, and he certainly is love, you know, love. But also the Bible talks about his wrath, and it's a, it's a difficult concept to fit into our picture of a loving, self-sacrificing creator and savior, but it really it is such a key part of who God is in total. <clears throat> and, you know, as Christians... We believe that all have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we believe that because of that, we are in need of a Savior. Every one of us is in need of a Savior, and we know that from the Bible, we turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins. We turn to Him in repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but you know, even as we acknowledge that we have all sinned, how does it make you feel when you hear about someone who's involved in or has done some really horrible, egregious sin? You know, disgusting sin. Like money schemers who prey on older widows and get into their life savings. I mean, how heartless. Or child abusers who follow young teen girls as they walk home from school, and then one day, the girl never makes it home. Or husbands 
And all of these are situations that I've seen, not, that I've heard about, seen, or seen on some program. <clears throat> Husbands who get involved in an extramarital affair end up killing their wives and their children, and then they call up the police saying, somebody's come in and killed my family, and the, leads the police on a wild goose chase for weeks, months, until finally they trace it down to the husband himself, and he finally confesses to the sin. What do you think about that when you think of the love of God? <clears throat> How about those who promise girls from poor homes, maybe even in other countries, that if they cross this border, like into India, they can give them a nice job that they can help support their families, and then they find themselves sold into the sex slave trade. Now, I used to hear this statement growing up. If something really, really bad was done, somebody would say, there's going to be a special place in hell for someone who would stoop to that level. Well, you know, we've been going through the New Testament book of Revelation for some months, and now we're on chapter 16. It tells us how things are going to end on this earth as Jesus Christ prepares to return. And one major factor that Revelation reveals is how God will deal with egregious, horrible sinners who refuse over and over again to, re to turn to him in repentance when he gives them chance after chance, and they still curse him. And we're going to see what happens. Because, <clears throat> you know, God's holiness demands that he deals with sin. And Revelation tells us about horrific and end-time judgments that people will face who absolutely will refuse to turn from their wicked ways, even though they're given chance after chance, like I said. And what we're talking about is what the Bible calls the wrath of God. But it isn't like God just loses control and just starts zapping everybody. The wrath of God is very measured and pre-planned according to the sins. And it's end-time punishments where God is offering last opportunities for forgiveness. As his wrath starts pouring down, they have a chance to turn to him and receive his forgiveness. Now, Revelation tells us about <clears throat> three series of end-time judgments. And they're called seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments. And each one has seven parts. And the seals, you have this scroll that's going to say how the world's going to end. And, and as Jesus breaks the seals off the scroll, judgments come down. That's what the seal judgments are. Trumpet judgments, when you call, when you announce things. And then bold judgments, where they're poured out. <clears throat> and these are the judgments that come severe judgments because we're coming to the end of our time on earth or the end of the earth's time actually and each time with the with the seal trumpets and bold judgments each set gets more deadly more painful harsher and more 
you know, destructive against evil. Now, we've seen, as we've gone through the book of Revelation, we've seen wars, famines, plagues, earthquakes, hail, fire, seas turning to blood, springs and rivers polluted, not being able to use them for water, causing sickness. We've seen extreme darkness take over the land, locusts from the abyss, you know, stinging people for five months, people wanting to die but can't. We've seen rampant attacks from scorpion-like creatures, people just begging to die but they can't. And during this time of judgment from God, the people continually refuse to turn to him for forgiveness, and instead they curse him. And now what we come to is what the Bible calls the bold judgments. And these are the most severe of God's end-time judgments. Now in chapter 15... John, the Apostle John, who's receiving all these visions of what's going to happen, <clears throat> he describes when, he, when he's introduced to the bold judgments. It's 15, verse 1, and we'll, this is the only verse we'll read from chapter 15, then we'll go to chapter 16. He says, I saw in heaven another great, marvelous, great and marvelous sign. He's been seeing all these signs, and so here's another one. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. And these are the bold judgments. Last because with them, God's wrath is completed. So you see, God's wrath isn't just him getting mad and losing control. God's wrath is pre-planned punishment according to the sins and then you know, reacting from his holiness because sin is an attack on God's holiness. And in chapter 16, in verse 1, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So here it comes the final judgment, the final series of judgments. And what he's doing here, it's reminiscent of a drink offering poured out in the worship of God. So as God brings these judgments upon the earth because they they have offended God to the very end, And it's like this libation that he's pouring out, these seven bowls of his wrath. And it's kind of like they are a sacred offering to God to make up for that sin. And so let's go on to verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now, we've probably all heard about the beast coming in the end times. And what it was, there was the dragon from the sea, and that was a counterpart to God the Father. This is Satan. When he he gets kicked out of heaven, he forms this trinity. It's a false trinity, an unholy trinity. Satan, 
is the counterpart to God the Father. There's this beast that comes out of the sea. He's the counterpart to Jesus Christ. And then there's the beast that comes from the land, and he points all worship to the beast out of the sea. And he's like the Holy Spirit. And that's Satan's counterfeit trinity. <clears throat> and so it says, The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. There's a time when you will have to take the mark of the beast in the end times on your head, forehead or on your right hand. And anybody who won't, they will try to kill. And they will kill so many who won't take that mark of the beast. And so now it's judgment time. And now those who have taken it are going to receive God's judgment. Ugly, festering sores, usually caused by... Uh, infections. It was God's punishment for people willingly committing themselves to the Antichrist by taking his mark and worshiping his image. And it would make people suffer for just walking, sitting down, or lying down. And then in verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. The sea was the lifeblood. This is all happening during the first century Roman Empire. And the sea was the lifeblood of the Roman Empire. Most of their commerce and trade was upon the sea. And so this would lead to tremendous, devastating economic disaster. But this is all God's wrath coming down to make up for the sin that had been, you know, uh, Sin against him. Verses 4 through 7. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. And I heard the altar respond. It's kind of like a, an offering. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Stop there. <clears throat> the drinking water turns to blood, another severe economic disaster. This was also an act of what is called retributive justice because they shed the blood of God's servants and now God is making them drink blood. True and just are your judgments. That refers to God's covenant faithfulness. And then verses 8 and 9, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. <clears throat> Sword. Well, seared by the intense heat of the scorching sun. Now, again, in all these judgments, there's a chance to repent. And they, they refuse to take that chance. They refuse to admit their weakness, their wickedness. They refuse to give glory to God and be saved. But what do they do? They curse God even more. Repent, refuse to repent. 
and glorify him. Verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. This is God's preliminary act in overturning the beast's reign. He's plunging his kingdom into darkness. The beast, we said, is the Antichrist. He will be plunged into darkness with his kingdom. That means his authority is limited and his throne is temporary. You know, all through life, we have to choose God, heaven, over earth. You know, we live on the earth, we deal in the earth, but we have to choose that we are going to honor God above the things of the earth. And it's such a temptation to want to follow the earthly ways and to be celebrated on earth and to build up our treasures on earth. It's such a temptation because it's just right in front of us and everybody's doing it. And the the celebrities who do it most, they're the ones most glorified on earth. But all the way through, God is wanting us to honor him above things of the earth. And that's the battle. That's the, the battle in our hearts is to trust God over the things that we see. And now we're seeing it all come to, come to roost. As God brings judgment upon this Antichrist, who for a while wielded great authority. He was like the top celebrity. And everybody was worshiping him. And they thought he was such a great person. And they had his mark on their forehead or their right hand. And yet here he is. He causes so much destruction. And people gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed God because of the terrible suffering from the the, uh, tribulation, from the judgment. But they refused to repent of what they had done. And then we have the sixth angel. Verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. That's the beast. No, that's, that's Satan himself. Out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the unholy trinity. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And this is Jesus. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so that as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to place that to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said the Euphrates River was dried up so all the nations could come in, could join together. And it may not be a literal drying up of the Euphrates. It could be. But what it's really talking about is that one world joining together, that one world government, that one world power 
that's going to try to take over the world. He's going to stand against Christ, stand against God, and rule the world. And you see how people have those inclinations on earth, don't they? They have those inclinations to try to take over and try to build their own kingdom and try to rule over everybody else. And so this is the end-time one-world government forming to oppose God. And, you know, they get to such a point, and it always has amazed me, they get to such a point that they think they can actually fight against God or fight against Christ as he comes back to keep the kingdom of the earth and not allow Christ to take it, up, take it back. And you have these three impure spirits coming from the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet, who make up the unholy trinity. And they're gathering all of the enemies of God across the world for battle on that great day of God Almighty, the battle of Armageddon. And this is the great war at the end of the age. And that was Jesus' alert. He was telling them, look, I come like a thief. And what he means is, you don't know when I'm coming. I'm just going to come at, that, at a certain time. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. So he's saying to his followers, all this is going on in the earth, but don't be lulled to sleep. Don't allow yourselves to slowly and deceptively be led astray. Because as God's people, we are to remain astute. We are to remain, you know, alert. Don't allow ourselves, little by little, to be drawn away from our faithfulness to God. Don't get so immersed in the world's goals and riches that we get just a little bit further away from God and a little bit further. And we're kind of like we're going to sleep spiritually. That's what Satan wants to do with us. So Jesus is saying, stay alert. Stay awake. Our enemy is always out to trap us with nice things, with promises of ruling or with promises of riches or whatever. And you know, the way we can stay safe is to stay sharp. Staying sharp in God's word. The word of God is a sharp sword. We have God's word. We have his word that has been written over centuries and millennia. And people have tried to destroy it all through the ages. People hate it that want to control others. When rulers try to control their people, they want to get rid of God's word. And, and they go in, <clears throat> in some places, you know, in other countries especially, if they find a church, sometimes they'll just burn it down. Or they'll threaten the people. Or they'll take their Bibles. Because they don't want them having God's Word. These enemies, they know how important it is. Sometimes we don't realize how important it is as much as they do. But they want to take it away. They're more scared of it than we revere it sometimes. But we neglect it at our own peril, and we risk being shamefully exposed 
and becoming a toy of Satan. And now we come to the end of the passage, 17 through 21. Talks about them gathering the kings to a place called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. The great city is is Babylon. Babylon's always used for the major city. In that time, it would have been the Roman Empire. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. One more. From the sky, huge hailstones weighing about 100 pounds fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. The seventh bowl judgment basically brings history to a close. A voice from the throne says, it is done. It's kind of like when Christ said from the cross, it is finished. Because the judgment now is complete. God's wrath has been completed. It has been fulfilled. His righteous wrath against sin is completed. His final kingdom now has come. The lightning, the thunder, the earthquake, that is creation trembling, fleeing the presence of God as he brings his wrath to the earth. Babylon, that great city that's always opposed God in all forms, in different different cities like Rome and, and places like that, it has now been defeated forever. Islands and mountains flee and hide from the wrath of God. You know, there's a frequent apocalyptic motif connected to the great and awful day of the Lord. Huge hailstones, 100 pounds falling on people. I looked up the heaviest hailstones recorded. Two of the five heaviest hailstones hailstones recorded came down in the state of Kansas. One in El Dorado, and one in Coffeyville, just over the Oklahoma border. And they were about 1.6 pounds. In Bangladesh, there was this hailstorm in 1986 with two and a quarter pound hailstones And 92 people were killed. So now, 100-pound hailstones. It's going to devastate everything and everybody, all those who will not turn to God. But here again, last sentence, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague 
was so terrible. So just think of these people. They sought everything in what this very temporary world had to offer. They gained all the power they could and, and tripped all the wires that they could trip in order to gain power, in order to have power over the people. And we see this happening all through history, don't we, in different places of the earth. We see people rise, and their biggest, their biggest goal is to gain power over the people. And they do all the things to gain their power. And in this instance, <clears throat> every time they had chances to turn to God, but they couldn't wrench themselves out of their earthly desires and dependence. I mean, they just held on tightly, tightly as they could, could to all that was being destroyed. Piece by piece, it was taken out of their hands, and they just keep grabbing for it and grabbing for it. Instead of turning to God and relieving themselves of all that suffering and, and horror, they just keep trying to get more and curse God. And as they closely witnessed and experienced the superior power of God, they just couldn't release that grasp. That's why Jesus warns us in the end there, stay awake, remain clothed, don't be found naked and shamefully exposed. We need to clothe ourselves in Christ, don't we? <clears throat> the book of Revelation at the beginning verse 3 chapter 1 blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. <clears throat> so, it's a heavy subject. You know, it just kind of fell on this day. But it also talks about the holiness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, because it's the grace of God that saves us from all of this. And it's amazing. It's amazing that the world is heading towards this, and here's us. You know, we have received the truth, and we have the truth, and we share the truth, but most of the world's going the other way. And so we want to be faithful, we want to be sharp, and we want to be <clears throat> there for people who need the help and who, who are willing to turn. And anybody can turn who wants to, but they just have to swallow their pride and come. Let's pray. <clears throat>